that's in there, when that's deep in your heart and you believe it, and you know it's you that he's come to make his home in you, he's living in you as in a temple, it's a total game changer. All the big things we struggle with in life, all the big obstacles, all the big Goliaths that we're afraid of, they all shrink, just like they did for the apostles who were afraid, right? They were not afraid anymore. everybody and welcome to another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio with your hosts Greg and Stephanie Schleter. Thanks for tuning in with us tonight. We have a very special program lined up for you. It is from our recent Praying with Fire conference which took place on Pentecost and uh, we're going to share with you tonight the words of Peter Herbeck who shares with us some keys to a missioned community. And uh, we asked him to do this because um, you're familiar with Peter Herbeck, Renewal Ministries, world-renowned author, speaker. I think every single one of you listening, if you're like me, we desire to um, bear the light of Christ to those around us in a relevant way, in a compelling way, but often, I don't know, we lack um, the confidence maybe, maybe we're fearful, Uh, maybe we don't have the language or the words to use to try to communicate this. Maybe even that begs the question, is it just about sort of sharing words about Christ or is there an underlying heart, that um, an authentic encounter that maybe we need to more fully open our hearts to so that in communicating that light is the most natural thing in the world. So Peter grew up in missionary community uh, from the 20, his 20-year-old, 20s and on, and um, he shares with us candidly in his talk how important it was to have a community of young men who really were formed by a home that they lived in, by some folks who invited him and some of his friends into this home and kind of shaped for him uh, an understanding of how to live this out, as we say on our banner of our webpage and really kind of the heart of what we're all about at massimpact.us. Not another program, a way of life in Jesus Christ. So before we get to Peter's talk, just I want to strongly encourage you to put August 12th on your calendar. August 12th, we have a very special, uh, last year we called it Family Festival, but because it was misunderstood, people maybe equated that with rides and just, if you will, hot dogs and food and fun, and there will be a lot of fun. It's more of a retreat, a family retreat, which means everybody, whether you're single or whether you have children under your roof or young people, all are included. We're calling it Family Emmaus. It takes place Saturday, August 12th on the grounds of Holy Trinity, and we're very blessed to have a number of pastors leading us in a great adventure deeper into the heart of the Mass. So we encourage you to join us, and it's free. It's absolutely free. Of course, we are very grateful for donations. We certainly you know, ask for you to consider donating, but it, sign up now. It is absolutely free, and where do you need to go? Great question. Massimpact.us forward slash Emmaus, E-M-M-A-U-S. Again, sign up now for August 12th, massimpact.us forward slash Emmaus. You can find out more about this wonderful day that we have planned. And uh, really, what is our goal with this? Our goal is that by you going 
especially with your family, especially with your parish community and your pastor, ideally, that you're going to, you know, all the more experience the vitality of Christ alive in your home and among your friends. And you're going to get that sense of joy um, that is in the Mass, contained in the Mass, of that overflowing to the world around us, specifically in our parishes and beyond our parishes. So again, please plan right now. Join us. Be one of those who have that strong missionary zeal that want to join us, that want to be influencers, that really want to make a difference. So if that's you right now, massimpact.us forward slash Emmaus. And uh, we do encourage you to download the free app. You can find that at massimpact.us forward slash app, A-P-P, massimpact.us forward slash app. It's got all that you need to um, help you uh, become a home, a missionary community in your home and a missionary community in your parish with uh, weekly live it guides, um, guiding your family and talking and praying and video content and podcast content, a lot of great free stuff right in your phone, free and streaming. Massimpact.us forward slash APP. God bless you. Now with no further ado, we give you Peter Herbert. Pentecost. It's great to see you all. And it's uh, great to be here on Pentecost, which, you know, Pentecost is not just a singular event. It's, uh, in fact, it goes both backwards and forwards. And it goes back a long way, all the way back to the Old Testament Pentecost. You know that, right? Harvest Feast. And it was, the Holy Spirit was given on the day when 12 tribes, the representatives from the 12 tribes of the people of Israel were in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, which was a harvest feast. And it was a time when they also celebrated the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments, uh, through Moses, right? God gave them to Moses. So the Holy Spirit on that day fulfilled both those feasts. How did they fulfill the harvest feast? How did the Holy Spirit fulfill the harvest that day? Yeah, for the thousands who came to him. So there's a harvest of souls that happened on that day. And then how did he fulfill the giving of the law? Here's an interesting thought, the way the church understands it, the scripture teaches, the Holy Spirit is the new law. The the law is not on Ten Commandments, it's in your heart now. The heart of Jesus. What's the center of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's it, and love your neighbors yourself. And the prophets of the Old Testament said a time is coming when it's not going to, the law is not going to be on stone, but it's going to be put into your heart. And God himself is going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going to give you a power and a capacity to love the way Jesus loved. Jesus was the one man who walked on this earth who gave to God what belongs to God. He, gave, he loved the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. He proved it all on the cross. Both of those, right? He he offered himself. And how does he love the Father? Through obedience. And obedience, he went to the cross, and he loved us at the same time because he laid down his life for us, and he showed us what love looks like. Obedience to the Father and laying down your life for your neighbor. So that's at the heart of what Pentecost is about. But I don't don't want to go too far all the way back to to the Old Testament. I just want to talk Easter for a minute, Easter to the present moment. Because we're just now, Father, tell me if I have this right, we're just kind of wrapping up the Easter season, are we not? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, and his ascension and Pentecost are one action, you might say. 
the Pope Benedict XVI put it this way, the culmination of Jesus' entire mission happened on Pentecost. His being raised from the dead is absolutely crucial. It was the change, the thing that changed everything. When it was someone in human flesh passed from death to life, Mary's son passed from death to life. And he began in his own body, in his own person, the new creation. Something entirely new happened. What is it? Life beyond death happened. The power of an indestructible life is in the flesh of Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so he reveals himself to the apostles, to hundreds of people, hundreds of his followers. And then we celebrated what? Just like a week or so ago, we celebrated ascension, okay? Really, the resurrection, the ascension are one act because Jesus rose to ascend back to the Father to be exalted at the right hand of God the Father. Now, that's a lot of kind of highfalutin Bible language, but this affects you so profoundly. And Pentecost is the event where he sends his spirit to help you and I get it. Because what happened when Jesus Christ rose, Mary's son in human flesh passed from death to life. In him now, the scripture says he's the second Adam. He's the the new creation, God's new thing to save the human race is in the flesh of Jesus. He's existing now beyond death and he, he rises to the right hand of the Father into the glory of God's presence. And what do we know for sure about the human race? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have no way to access it but for the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus in himself the new Adam, the second Adam, takes humanity into the presence of God. And he's glorified. And human flesh, which was destined for the grave, food for worms, and eternal separation from God, now has a new beginning and a home. Jesus entering into the presence. So he took you there. You know that? Just like Adam's sin took us where? It took us away from God. The new Adam took you into heaven in his flesh. Because what's in him, the resurrected glorious life of the Son of God, he's now going to give to you. That's what salvation is. Salvation is the action of the Son of God who began the new thing. The new creation that was founded in him. And now from his seat at the right hand of the Father... The Father, what does Peter say on the day of Pentecost? What was, the, what was the cornerstone of his preaching that day when he preached the kerygma, the core, the summit of his preaching? What did he say? Acts 2.36, right around there, right? He said, he preached that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he performed signs and wonders. He preached to all these Jews who were present. He said, you saw him, you know him, and guess what? You killed him. But we're here to tell you God raised him from the dead. He's alive. And you're wondering what's happening to us because we all look like we're drunk. Right? We look like something different's going on. We're going to tell you what's happened. The promise of the prophet Joel is being fulfilled in this time right now. The spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is now being poured out on the earth on all flesh. Friends, this is the only hope for the human race. There is no other. There is no automatic. There is no force out there that people are going to plug into. It is the, the life of the Son of God. Peter said the Father gave over to Jesus, his faithful Son, the promised Holy Spirit, 
And then Jesus poured out that spirit on the earth, and the church was born. The church is a miracle. The church is not a creation of man. It was created by the power of the Son of God, who established it. I mean, we work with him, obviously, right? We, we say yes to what he's doing. But it's a miracle. And it's so important for us to allow the Holy Spirit to do the first thing he wants to do on Pentecost, and he always wants to do. The special mission of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to every human heart the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more dynamic and a whole lot more powerful than it might sound. It's not just knowledge, but he tells us, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit will enlighten our hearts and give us a capacity to see the glory of God shining on the face of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because God's glory is on a human face. And you, the Holy Spirit shows you your future, where you're headed. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the future fulfillment of your life. When that's in there, when that's deep in your heart and you believe it, and you know it's you that he's come to make his home in you, he's living in you as in a temple, it's a total game changer. All the big things we struggle with in life, all the big obstacles, all the big Goliaths that we're afraid of, they all shrink, just like they did for the apostles who were afraid, right? They were not afraid anymore because they knew who they were in Christ. And so on that day, what we see, I want to get right into what, uh, what Greg uh, asked me to talk about in terms of community because this community is tied to Pentecost. Why? Help me think, Catholics, help me think through this. Why is community and why are community and Pentecost tied together so intimately? The Holy Spirit holds us together. The Holy Spirit holds us together. Why? Because we're talking about a communion is, that, is the ground of all reality. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what here's what John says in 1 John about their, his experience. He says, uh, that, which we, that which was from the beginning... What we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, and we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest to us. What's the life? What's the life that was made manifest? It's Jesus Christ risen, right? We've seen him. We've touched it. We're telling you about an entirely new life the earth has never seen. No human being has ever touched. And then he goes on to say, we saw it, we testify it now, we testify to it now to you, and we proclaim to you that the eternal life that was with the Father has been made manifest to us. The eternal life of God has been given to us. Do you know that God dwells in you? know, Paul asked that question to believers. He said, have you forgotten who you are? Do you know that you're a temple of the living God? Do you know how amazing that is? Do you know how valuable you are? Friends, when we know that in our knower, it changes everything. It gives us freedom. It gives us identity. It gives us security. It gives us confidence now to risk the adventure that Christ is leading us into. And so Paul or John talks about it. He said, as a consequence of this grace that's come, he said, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. For what reason? 
so that you may have fellowship with us. Koinonia is the Greek word, koinonia. What is God after? Fellowship. Koinonia. Why has the Spirit been sent? To gather a people into the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, and our fellowship, listen how bold he is. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. This is what we're bringing. This is what the Holy Spirit wants you to be a conduit of, a current of grace. And cooperate with what God wants to do, which is to establish a people in the earth who are living koinonia, who are living family-type relationships, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the momentum of the work of the Son of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that leads up to the point of a few points I want to make about koinonia, about community, about fellowship. Because Jesus has something very specific in mind about it. Right now, I mean, I travel all over, I travel a lot, I travel around the world, I travel all over the United States, and there's not a lot of koinonia happening in Catholic parishes today. It's there, but not much. People live very isolated lives. We almost come to church in silos, in our own little world, our own little, I'm fulfilling my duty. And for many people, the fewer people I have to talk to, the better. And for heaven's sakes, don't, get, don't be a priest who stands up and says, now before we start Mass, turn to the person next to you and talk to them. It's like, wait a minute. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to get it. I'm here to get, you know, communion. Don't make me do all that touchy-feely, gooky stuff. Right? That's where we're at. And, you know... Confirmation, which is meant to be the moment when we come to maturity and as, as grown-up disciples, or at least mature disciples, we enter into the communion. And we take up our place in the communion. Because that's where we want to be. Why? Because we know who we are. We know Christ is leading us in His Spirit to have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and His people. That's where it starts. That's what He wants to do. But honestly, Honest Lord, how many Catholics have any awareness of that in their life? Seriously. And so parishes are often places of isolation, not much sense of community at all. And of course, people's lives are completely independent. They're not interconnected in family-type relationships. So right now, what we're witnessing is we're witnessing the, the, the church, and one of the reasons why the church is not being effective in impacting the culture is because we're not living in community. We're not living as a missionary in a missional community. So the first thing the Holy Spirit wants to do is for us to realize who we are and to believe it. So number one thing for a missional community is knowing the Lord and knowing He's a big God. Say with me, God is a big God. He's a powerful God. Do you believe that? Is he big enough to renew the church in Toledo? I mean, really, Catholics? Are you sure? Here's even a bigger question. This is even huger. Is he, is he big enough to use you to help renew the church in Toledo? I see the little mumbling going on there. Did you notice that? I don't know. Me? Really? Father Consul Mesa always says that the church just needs to realize again that she has 
She has an infinite capacity for regeneration. And it's not in her money, it's not in her art, it's not in her buildings, it's not in her property, it's in you. Literally, it's in you. Do you believe that? And the more you know it, the more you believe it, the more you'll come alive in your faith, the more your relationship with God's going to come on fire, and the more that happens, you're going to get freed. He's going to start moving you to take some risks. He's going to start moving. Here's John Paul II. He said, it first happens the Holy Spirit reveals to us who Christ is and the gift. And then he said, the core of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come to create movement. What's the movement? To create movement. It means to get us moving. Right? To get us moving to do what? To proclaim Christ. This is why the church as Pope Francis is trying to tell us time and time again, is an essentially missionary community. It's a community of missionary disciples. So you're a missionary. Now, my friend here is wearing an Ohio State shirt. And I'm from Ann Arbor. Okay? But we have a deeper communion than, than our football teams, right? But I'll tell you what a lot of men will do. A lot of men will bear witness to their favorite sports team. Right? I'm a man. I know. I know what I'm like. Right? We'll talk till we're blue in the face. We'll rap with the brothers. We'll spend a ton of money to get there. Right? We'll, we'll be thinking about the game all week long. We'll talk to people. We'll move heaven and earth to get to the thing we want to get to. Ladies, did you ever see that here in Ohio? Probably not in Ohio. Right? I don't think it's a big deal in Ohio. Right? And we have no problem identifying with that. And look what men can mobilize when they love something. Look what we can do. Look at the size of the stadiums we can build. Look at how much money we can come up with. Even in Ann Arbor, in the midst of 2008, when there was no money, we spent $300 million expanding a football stadium that really didn't need to get expanded. And I'll tell you what, the men were putting out their wall, you bet. Can I get my name on a brick? Can I be a part of building this temple? Can I just, because this is so fun. It's so exciting, right? That's where we are. I mean, I'm not saying loving your football team is a bad deal. I'm just saying it is nothing compared to the treasure that's in you in Christ. Nothing. Literally, it's going to pass away. And life is short. Okay, point number one. He's a big God. And that big God has made his home in you, right? And here's what he's asking you to do. What's that? What are you saying? Uh, yeah. yeah. And so he's come to you, and as the apostles talked about it, is he's come to be Lord. What did Peter preach in Acts 2? What was the culmination? He's Lord and Christ. Christ means what? He's the one filled and anointed with the Spirit. And he's the one the, in human flesh now. So he's the one who gives us the anointing of the Spirit. And he gives it to us for a reason. To make us come alive as sons and daughters of God. But to give us new hearts that love the Father and love our neighbor. And he gives us power now to live a different way of life. And so what Jesus is expecting of us, the apostles tell us, is that our passion now, as much as we love the Buckeyes and the wolves, our passion, what makes us tick, is we want to bring our life under the lordship of Jesus. 
That is, we want to bring our entire enterprise, our money, our time, our energy, under his guidance. We now live for him. So point number two, point number two is the Holy Spirit makes us his disciples. We say yes to him. And so what is a disciple? A learner. A learner who does what? Who imitates Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come to make you and I little Christs. You and me little Christs. And the whole purpose of our life now is to follow him and to conform our life to him. And so John Paul II put it this way. What's a disciple? Radically committed to prayer, radically committed to community, and radically committed to mission. What did Jesus do? Jesus was up. Jesus was in community, and he was out with mission. Say it with me. Up, in, out. Say it again. Up, in, out. Up, in, out. Let's say it. Up, in, out. It's a simple way of saying what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. And so what we want to be is just what he was. We want to be someone sent, and we're sent by the Spirit, who imitates his life. And Jesus came to do what? Here's the third point. A community and mission has a common vision. What's the common vision that we have? This communion and mission. What's the, what's the vision that's at the heart of the mission? What's that? Be with Jesus. Anybody else? What did he say in the Great Commission? Go make disciples. He didn't say, he didn't say just you be a disciple. You make sure you get to church, make sure you're praying every day. But you are called to be a disciple maker. Did you know that? Every single person here is being called in maturity in Christ and the call to become a missional community is the realization in our head and in our heart that we've been empowered by the Lord and now we need to be equipped to be able to join Him because this is what He's doing. To join Him in reaching others and bringing them in and helping them become disciples. Does that make sense? Everybody just kind of went... Like the air just went out of the room when I said that. Right? We get the part, we get the part where we're called to be holy personally and we want to do that. And we want to be kind and good. But the idea that what's at the core of our call as disciples is to do just what the disciples did. Jesus discipled them. He taught them how to lead others to him. And then they went and taught other people how to lead others to him as well. Now, we're not all the same. We don't have all the same gifting. We don't have all the same responsibilities. But that's all, all of us are connected to that. That should be the beating heart of the, of the mission of the Catholic Church. That's it. This is why the popes, they can't, they can't see enough of it. Archbishop Vigneron just gave a, a beautiful letter last night, uh, followed the Synod, a 40-page letter for the vision of the diocese, and that's it. He said, we're not healthy because we're not making disciples. And we're not making disciples because most of us are not yet disciples ourselves, right? So I just want to give you some practicals about how some of that was worked out in my life and what I'm so grateful for. I mean, I grew up in a good Catholic family, so something happened there, Catholic education. And here's what the Catholic Church is strong on, information. We're loaded with really good information. But what's needed to make a disciple is you need information, you need imitation, and you need innovation. Say that with me. Information, imitation, 
and innovation. I went to seminary for four years. I got a Catholic philosophy degree. I got a master's in theology. There's a lot in my head. I love theology and philosophy. I read it all the time. I'm teaching a class at the seminary right now. So I got a lot in my head. But just because I got a lot in my head, it doesn't mean I know how to disciple someone. I can pass on information, but something more needs to happen. For me, I was kind of awakened to that when I was in my latter part of my college years, and I was invited to live. One of my professors, who had a wonderful family, very dynamic guy, was a disciple maker. And he invited me to come and live with his family. And we, he had his lovely wife, Kathy. His name is Dr. John Burry. His lovely wife, Kathy. They had four kids. And they had nine singles living with them in their house. They had four kids under, four boys under six. And they had, top floor of the house is where the four women slept. And then Kathy and John and their kids were on that floor. And then we all you know, had the common floor, the kitchen and everything. And then we had five guys living in the base, sleeping in the basement in one room. We had a triple bunk and a double bunk. Okay? And we had a pattern of life. What happened was... And it was so life-changing for all of us. To this day, all those guys, if I gathered them here, they would tell you it was the most transformative time for them as Catholics in their formation as disciples. Why? Because it was called life on life. This is really important. This man, who was a mature disciple, opened his home to us. And we loved it. We played ball in the dry. He was a great, he was a great college basketball player in his day. We, we had a lot of fun. But I, we watched him. And live with his family. We all had jobs. It wasn't like we weren't working. But we watched how he related to his wife. We watched how he raised his boys. We watched how he taught them how to pray. We watched them. He said, come with us. Come here. Sit with me. Sit with us. We were part of all of it. We watched him discipline his children in a godly way. We watched him deal with family conflict. We watched him create a domestic church. We watched that man bring Jesus to the center as the Lord of that home and that household. Then we'd meet with him one-on-one, periodically, like once every two weeks. We'd meet with him one-on-one, just for an hour at his house, in the backyard or something. How's it going? What's happening in reading Scripture, Pete? You know, what's happening in your prayer time? Are you having your prayer time? Let's talk about what God's doing with you. What are you doing with your... I better not forget this. What are, you doing? what are you doing with your finances? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your talents, Pete? What do you think God wants you to do? Are you asking? You know? And I had a guy to talk to. I mean, I was a 20-some-year-old guy who had a lot of information in my head, but I mean, I, I just needed help about how do I bring my life under the lordship of Jesus Christ? How do I actually live like a disciple? You know? And then he said, I want you, I want you, he told the other guys, I want you to reach your friends. And I want you to do with your friends what you and I have been doing. No, they can't come and live with you right now, but you can share with them the things that I've been sharing with you. And let's bring them over to the house. Let's have a basketball tournament. Let's have cookouts. Let's celebrate the Lord's Day. One of the things we did was we set apart Saturday night to Sunday night and made it really special. And he taught us how to do it. How did they do that? And they taught their kids. And I did this with my kids. And, brought, and young people lived with us. And it was life transformation. What we did was, uh, when, it was when work was done on uh, Saturday, all the chores were done and the rest of the stuff, it was dinner time. We'd all get showered up. We'd all put on really nice clothes. Uh, we'd have a really nice meal. 
And so all of us, the nine of us singles in the family, and then we'd always bring guests. And the house was packed with people. And we'd have a meal together. And you share a meal. Remember, there's like four spaces. You see this in sociology. Jesus worked them all. Four spaces that human beings live in. Public space, which is like mass on Sunday, a big crowd or a ball game. Public space. Social space, which is more like to what today they call connect groups, like 30 to 50 to 60 people. Uh, personal space, which is Jesus had around him 12 disciples. And then intimate space. Jesus had, who, did they, who are the three that were with him the most, right? Peter, James, and John. All touching different levels of human life. And so where the church is effectively being missionary, they're living in community at some level, and all these levels of social space and interaction, there's an intentionality to it. We had, we had, we met with John regularly, we had men's group together, we shared our lives, and what did that mean? Accountability. Get your life out there, and John showed us how to do it. He said, you know, look, you have to, you have to know you're loved here, and John led the way, and you can trust that you can take the mask off here and you can put your heart on the table. Because nobody's perfect. Every disciple is on the way, right? And when you come into church, it's a place, unfortunately, where people, people hide who they are oftentimes. Because we're, ash we're ashamed, we're wounded, we're lonely, we're isolated, we're broken, we fail. And we keep that all to ourselves. And maybe to the priest behind a curtain, other than that, we generally don't talk about it. And you don't really get to community. You don't start living and experiencing the life of Christian community and the provision God wants for you to lead you to freedom and security and the knowledge that you're loved. You know you're loved because you put everything on the table and they're still there looking at you and saying, you're amazing. You're an amazing human being. Okay, you did that. Repent. We're with you. Guess what? Look what I'm battling with. I can't stop talking about people, you know? I still can't forgive that person for how they hurt me. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever these issues are, they're on the table. So there's accountability that's right at the heart of it as well. And most Catholics don't know. They've never had an experience like that, ever. Maybe they pay a therapist. And that's where, that's where it can happen. What, I got like five minutes left, something like that? Okay. All right, so I know I'm kind of, you know, I, I preach more than I teach, so it's a little bit, the numbers are a little bit, yeah. So intentionality, information, imitation, innovation, right? Life on life, Jesus did life on life. People lived with him, they saw him. Life in community, he lived among others and life on mission. He shared it together. So what does the Lord want to do? He wants to do the same thing with you. He's doing it with you. It's already happening here. But he wants to take you deeper into it and help us to be able to open our lives even more. So there's, there's a, a serious intentionality to it. Uh, the commitment. Here's something that's really hard for modern Americans. Community can't happen without serious commitment of time to sacrifice. It's going to cost you. It cost John Burry and Kathy Burry a lot to invite us into their family 
And we all, they had, you know, the women had issues. We had issues. We were normal people. But he taught us, like, all this mess, all this humanity, this is where it's at. Jesus wants to meet us right here. But too often, we keep ourselves, we keep a distance from all that stuff. We don't want to get too close. One of the reasons we don't like community is because it's risky. I have to open myself up. It's risky. And it costs a lot. And we looked at each other, and we often talked about this. John said, look, if you guys want to come on this adventure, it's going to cost you. Oh, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed out of your socks. But you've got to die. There's something in you. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, come after me. You've got to right, deny yourself and take up your cross. And John used to say, what does deny yourself mean? It means that part of you that has you first in everything. Me first. My comfort, my security, my pleasure, my free time, my this, my that, all that stuff that we, we hang on to that pretty intensely. And he said, we will never have community until we let Jesus put that to death. St. Paul talks about it this way. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the demands of the, the willfulness and the ego that's in us. He said, if you let the Holy Spirit do that, He'll bring about something beautiful in your life. So commitment is tough, especially like, oh, man, another meeting? Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. I like my lazy boy, okay? I'm not going anywhere. Send me the video. I'll watch the video of the event that happened, right? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a grain of wheat. I know this in my own life. I would not be here if leaders like John and other people did not die. They invested in me. They taught me. We cannot make disciples unless we say to people, come with me. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. He said, you know, none of us can say that. But I'm following him. Let me show you. Come with me. Let's walk together with Jesus at the center of our lives. Does that make sense? Dying to self and staying power are huge to actually making something happen. Staying in the game. Don't give up. Don't be afraid of challenges and hardships. It's great to put yourself to death. It's great. It's so good. It is so good. It's better than a national championship. Really, it is. It doesn't always feel that way. Okay, let me just end. I don't know if I had a full seven there, Greg. Okay, commitment, accountability. I talked about that, opening our lives. I tell you the best, I told Greg, the best discipler I know is my wife. It's unbelievable. We, we have so many young women coming through our house. We have two, one living there now, another one's going to come and live. We've just got, they're constantly there. She's investing in them. They're active, they're evangelizing, they're friends, they have a wonderful community life together, and she's never gotten paid a dime, basically, other than a little stipend now and then, for 30 years of mentoring and discipling. And we did the same thing in our house that we did in John's. Raised our kids, we had Lord's Days, we had, we bring neighbors, we bring all kinds of people to come and see, come and touch, come and eat our good food, come and listen to our good jokes, let us get to know you, and so our life can be contagious. But guess what? It took work. It took work to get the kids showered up every Saturday when they wanted to just stay out and keep playing with their friends. It, it took work to cook a nice meal. 
It took work to get everything beautifully set up, a beautiful decorated table. It took work to get music ministry. We'd, you know, we'd get our guitar and we'd sing and we'd pray together. All that stuff takes time and effort. Now my kids will say, they're all grown, four kids, two boys, two girls. They're all in the church. They're all practicing their faith. Some are radically engaged in the mission of the church. They'll all say, man, mom and dad, Lord's days were so awesome. They were so great. Because we want to say, how are we going to actually, in this crazy secular world, live our Catholic values? Is the Lord's Day the Lord's Day or not? Here's a place where we can show how much we value it. Because everybody else is just kind of, Sunday is just another Saturday, right? But it's not easy to do that. And why do you do it? Because out of your prayer life with Christ, the knowledge that you've been called to do this, knowing that it pleases Him, that you're sacrificing. And poor, many poor Catholics are stuck, you guys, we're just so conformed to the world, we don't even hardly know it because it's the air we breathe. And we actually live like the world around us. But right now, what we have to do is we have to make a decisive decision. I want to live a different way of life. And I want to do it with others who want to do it with me. We're all going to be dead soon. That's the last point. She's like, oh, good, good. This guy's great. You know, who brought him? You know? Time is short. We're going to be before the Lord soon. doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, you have a role to play. You have an important role to play. And you have something to give. The Lord's doing something with this community. Greg and the family have a real vision. You guys, your, your board, you guys have a vision of exactly what the church needs. Missional community starts in the home. With mom and dad sacrificing, putting Jesus first. Loving him, raising him, and including other people in it, and then bringing this family of families together and hopefully bringing more people to it. But remember, the last thing, the challenge. Let me read from, uh, I'll end with, uh, any of you know who Jean Vanier is? You ever heard of L'Arche Communities? He's a guy, he was the son of the Governor General of Canada, a very gifted guy, and he ended up forming community with mentally handicapped people in houses. And uh, he's, just, he's an amazing guy. And I just want to read a couple of things he says about uh, community. We're made for community. We're made for relationship. Each, in each and every one of us is a deep loneliness. He calls it a wound. It's part of the fall. It's part of what the Lord's trying to restore. And he said, we have to realize that this wound, this wound of loneliness is inherent in the human condition and that what we have to do is walk with it instead of running from it. We cannot accept it until we discover that we are loved by God just as we are, and that the Holy Spirit, in a mysterious way, is living at the center of that wound. It gives us this, the courage to risk. And then he says this. Each person with his or her history of being accepted or rejected, with his or her past or history of inner pain and difficulties in relationships with parents and others is different. But in each one, there is a yearning for communion and belonging. But at the same time, there's a fear of it in us. Love is what we want, yet it is what we fear the most. Love makes us vulnerable and open. But then we can be hurt through rejection and separation. We may crave for love, but then be frightened of losing our liberty and creativity. We may want to belong to a group, but we fear a certain death in the group because we may not be seen as unique. We may want love, but fear the dependence and commitment it implies. 
We fear being used. We fear being manipulated, smothered, or spoiled. He said many reasons we fear. We are all so ambivalent toward love, communion, and belonging, but it's our deepest desire. It's our deepest desire. Here's the challenge for the Catholic Church in our day. Do we want to follow the Holy Spirit into the depth of communion that's anointed by the Spirit, a communion of missionary disciples who are learning to love at a deep level and to extend that love to other people who are longing for the very same thing, but they're filling it with a million distractions. Amen? Okay, that's it. Uh, let's pray, yeah, okay. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've made us a family. And you made the church a family of families. And there's so many in the family who, I mean, the family's so dysfunctional in so many ways. And we sense you calling us, and on this day of Pentecost, we welcome the Spirit who has led us into communion with you. That your heart beats and the heart of Jesus beats for all those who are outside the communion. And Lord, we know you want to send us. And if you'd like, friends, you can just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you on this Pentecost to fulfill your purpose in my life. I give to you all my days. They belong to you. Help me build a community of missionary disciples. Teach me how to become a missionary disciple. I give you my fears, all my questions, say yes to you. Mother Mary, spouse of the Holy Spirit, pray for us. Amen. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name
presentation, Father Jeff McBeth gives personal testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit. He invites us to more fully embrace our Catholic appointing and anointing to be instruments of Christ's real power in the world around us today. This presentation took place at a Praying with Fire conference. For more information about this movement of personal, family, and parish transformation, go to massimpact.us. Not another program, a way of life in Jesus Christ. we believe all sorts of uh, outrageous things. And by outrageous, I don't mean, you know, ridiculous, just wondrous, you know, fantastic things. Like there's a God who is three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that this God created the entire universe out of nothing and thought each of us into existence in a loving design. And that this God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, came to take on our human life. And the person of Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, who suffered and died and then rose from the dead, and 40 days later ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. And that this Son continues to be present to us in this, which just seems like a piece of bread, but it's actually the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe all sorts of wondrous, fantastic things. But perhaps sometimes, I know it's been true in my um, past, I guess, or experience, when we hear things like prayers for healing, that we can actually pray for healing for someone uh, and they'll get healed, and that this should be a part of our, our prayer life, you know, as Catholics, we're like, yeah, I, I don't think so. We can look at the apostles who did the same thing. Jesus sent them out, you know, to, to heal, and they healed. After the resurrection and Pentecost, they went out, you know. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, uh, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise, pick up your mat, and walk. I think, well, that was back then. But of course, resurrection Easter, Pentecost, is also now. And is part of the body of Christ and feel that that same spirit, this intercessory prayer for healing, is meant to remain a part of our, our Christian life. And that's something that, for myself, I've become more, I guess, open to or engaged in just over the last maybe couple of years. And it has great effect. You know, we heard John Paul's story in the video you know, a few months ago, someone uh, came up to us at our monthly Ignite. We've been doing the, uh, a time of uh, prayer uh, during that and um, prayed for her son who had maybe like 90% some kind of skin condition over 90% of his body. And the next month uh, came and told us uh, that he was, was gone. Of course, sometimes that healing, you know, is maybe not the way we would like or in the time that we would like or whatnot. But the mercy and love of God, his saving mission, the whole reason why he came to bring us to the fullness of life is still present through us, the members of his body. And so 
he calls us to pray uh, over one another for healing. Not just for each other. You know, like me, you probably said, you know, a thousand times to people, yeah, I'll go pray for you, you know, somewhere else. But to step out and pray with them right there. Certainly something that took me, taken me, proper English, out of my uh, comfort zone, uh, but I think has been beneficial and helped me uh, even in my own ministry as a priest, as a pastor to people who I know uh, feel that that also is a part of what we should do as Christian uh, brothers and sisters. The other piece, uh, we're going to have time for that coming up here in just um, a moment. As we've been talking about, too, uh, this other piece of really having the Holy Spirit stirred up uh, in us. Uh, April's ago, April of last year, I was sitting at home, there was this big snowstorm, and uh, I got a call on my phone saying, hey, our, our speaker that was supposed to have come uh, to the Magnificat group, you know, got snowed, you know, we got snowed in. She's here at our house, some of the other people are coming to our house, you know, why don't you, you know, she'd love to meet you, why don't you come over, you know, and, and things like that, and I'm like, well, I don't really want to drive through the snow, but like Huron's not a huge town, so I figured I'd be safe. And so i like, well, you know, I don't want to be too lazy, so I went over there. So, and uh, we were talking, you know, talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit, and, you know, what, what even is that, you know? Um, some people were like, you know, I've been baptized, I've been confirmed, you know, what, so what do I need that for? And um, you know, Diane, like Andrew said, you know, this, this kind of stirs it up, you know? I'm like, well, that makes sense to me, you know, because before baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's a charismatic thing, and I am not charismatic in any sense of the word. But I thought, you know, I could stand to have the Spirit stirred up in me uh, a little bit. And so um, I was sitting in a chair in their living room you know, with all these ladies uh, from the parish around me uh, speaking this uh, prayer language. Uh, and a part of me was thinking, I should have let that call go to voicemail. But another part of me was thinking, you know, what, what harm could come of this? You know, prayer is good, right? You know, and maybe I just need to be open to something uh, new and different, a new experience uh, of the Lord uh, working in my life, you know, and it's too late to cop out anyway, and so I just need to enter into this uh, to the best uh, that I can. So I didn't have the same uh, experience uh, that Andrew described, but interestingly, um, one of the things that some of the ladies were, were referencing was to my preaching. Afterwards, I said, well, I appreciate that because, you know, that's something I work hard on. It's important. You know, it's something I want to be the best that it can be, you know, for the good of our people and to lead them to Christ and, and all that. So, you know, thank you, you know, for that. But, you know, life kind of went on, and, you know, a couple months later, I was telling them and telling, you know, Greg and Stephanie, I was like, I, I don't think mine took you know, so, but then uh, word got back to me, you know, no, just in the last couple of months, or just the other day, someone came up to me, uh, this is someone telling me this, and she said, you know, in the last couple of months, there's just been something different about Father Jeff's homilies. I'm like, oh, I didn't maybe notice a difference, but, you know, praise God for that. But even, I think, in the last three months or so, uh, there's been a shift, I think, in sort of my approach to that. Uh, and what, that, what I do with that. And so uh, I re it really goes down I, to that baptism of the Holy Spirit. As Andrew read, as we heard uh, this morning at Mass, uh, at Pentecost, 
that manifestations of the Spirit are given for some benefit. And so this is not my benefit. You know, it's for the benefit, as I always say, of the poor souls who have to listen to me talk. That it's not because I'm awesome or, you know, whatever, because that is far from the case. But that is for the good uh, of the people of God. And so the gifts that we receive from that uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit being stirred up in our lives, you know, let's not think it's, you know, something for myself. Ultimately, it's for the good of others, for our family, for our community, uh, for our parishes. And so I encourage you to be open to that, not just for your uh, own good, um, but ultimately for the good of others, maybe in ways that, like me, you don't even recognize um, is going on. Last uh, summer, uh, I was at, on a retreat at St. Meinrad down in Indiana, and um, I ran to a friend of mine, a priest from Indianapolis, uh, who's the spiritual, um, director of spiritual formation there at the seminary, and we were just talking a little bit, and uh, you know, sort of mentioned the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's like, you are the last person I would ever think. Uh, I'm like, I know, right? So if I can do it, you can do it. And it's, uh, again, for the good of, of not just ourselves, but for the good of the body of Christ, the way that the Spirit can move in our life, bringing uh, healing and peace and whatever else gives that the Spirit wants to give uh, for the good of us all. For more information about this movement of personal, family, and parish transformation, go to massimpact.us. Not another program a way of life in Jesus Christ.